Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to our Wednesday edition of BAMS Radio as we're going to wrap up the Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles uh, win for the University of Alabama as they move to 4-0. and uh, and they are gonna. And the SEC home opener is upon us, <coughs> as the Ole Miss Rebels are coming to town to Bryant Denny Stadium, and uh, they're about as big an underdog as the Southern Miss Golden Eagles were last week. Uh, but uh, we are uh, bringing you another edition of BAMS Radio. We really appreciate all the support. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at BAMS Radio. Uh, we do this each and every week. Uh, it's the same cast of characters. We all it's a it's a labor of love for us. Of course, I'm Drew Armin, your co-host, uh, also a co-host of Talking Ball on ESPN 97.7 The Zone Radio in Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, soon to be Doctor Thomas Watts, the Wizard. Uh, he's uh, always the guy behind the curtain out, out in the port city of Mobile, making things happen and producing this show, doing a great job. Also giving us his thoughts a lot of times. You know, uh, a lot just like the RPO discussion we recently had. Great stuff that I know a lot of people really enjoyed. Uh, and Thomas does an outstanding job. And then, of course, our third amigo uh, from, you know, 88 to 93, a part of the Alabama Crimson Tide. And that is William Redfish Barton. I should say 89 to 93. I don't want to make him feel older. But 89 to 93, a part of the Crimson Tide. And he uh, won a national championship ring in 1992 under Coach Gene Stallings. And he is with us as always. William, good evening, man. How are you? Doing great, Drew. How are you, man? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, and I guess the first thing to say is uh, I know Alabama came in with great expectations uh, this season. There's been some uh, consternation. I think some of it was uh, the usual hot takes and overreaction. But I thought and, and you and we talked about this last week. You were a part of a lot, a lot of wars with Southern Mississippi. Southern Miss came in good offensive football team, but Alabama took care of them in a workmanlike fashion and what many people believe may have been their best performance in all three phases. Uh, the only negative coming out of the game was a couple more injuries, but I guess your thoughts, uh, first of all, on how this team played uh, offensively, I thought it was probably the best game for that Alabama offensive line that we've seen so far. Yeah, I, I thought it was probably the most complete game, you know, in all three phases. Um, you know, the defense, I think, you know, got better and, and picked it up a notch and, um, you know, I, I thought the offense, um, you know, well, let's be honest. I mean, you know, Southern Miss, like we talked about last week, I mean, they were overmatched from a talent and physicality standpoint. But, you know, liked what I saw out of the coaching staff and on both sides of the football. Um, you know, you're starting to see Najee Harris get a little bit more confident each week and start running with more authority. Um, you know, thought, thought, you know, Sark had another really good game plan, got everybody involved. Um, you know, the, the yardage may not have been there, but certainly the, the touchdowns were for Tua and those wide receivers. And, uh, you know, the offensive line seemed to be a little bit more, um, you know, imposed, imposed their will a little bit better in the running game and, and, you know, did some good things in pass protection. Um, you know, thought the defense especially it was good to see Christian Harris 
you know, back, you know, looking more like he was playing fast and, you know, had a full understanding of the game plan. So, you know, I, I saw a lot of good things. Got to see some more, um, you know, flashes from, from Christian Barmore. So, uh, you, you know, you hated to see DJ Dale get dinged up, but I don't think that's going to be uh, anything that keeps him out for a certain, you know, any length of time, maybe a week or two. But, um, yeah, I thought it was a great performance all the way around and, and uh, you know, a good tune-up for their for their SEC home opener against Ole Miss. Well, and uh, and – I, we, and the injuries have been so uh, concerning. Uh, you talked about DJ Dale. Looks like he has a strained patella tendon. I'm probably not going to play this week. He is trying to practice, but I think they may hold him out for Texas A&M as Alabama's got a bye coming up uh, next week uh, on the 4th, uh, and then they will uh, be in preparation for uh, Texas A&M. Uh, but then Will Reichert gets hurt. You know, he has a hip flexor. Uh, I'm hearing that likely the earliest we may see him return is Texas A&M. You don't want it to be something that lingers. And it's, uh, you know, concerning because I think he was getting ready to take over the punting duties as well. It's the first time I can really remember an Alabama kicker getting injured. How big a concern should it be about Will Reichert's absence right now? Yeah, I mean, if it's in his kicking leg and it's a hip flexor, that's a, that's a tough thing for a kicker to overcome and manage, um, you know, just because that, you know, is one of the main muscles, um, you know, you know, used in a kicking motion. And it's it's a slow injury for, for a non-kicker. You know, that's something that lingers. You know, I know they've got, um, you know, a lot better sports medicine and, and rehab and recovery methods at their disposal. But, you know, historically, that's a, that's a slow healing injury. Um, it's something that can be re-aggravated very easily. Um, probably not a good idea for him to punt anytime soon, for sure. But, yeah, even just, you know, having to, you know, wind that leg up and, and kick extra points and field goals uh, until it's 100% and it's going to be a while before it is, is, is going to be a painful thing for him. Um, you know, I don't know if they want to go the lidocaine tour all route with him or not. But, um, it's, uh, um, you know, not something that's, you know, I would I would liken it to, a, you know, a pulled hamstring on a, on a skilled player. I mean, it's something that can linger all season long. It can get re-aggravated real easily. And, you know, certainly something to pay attention to. I mean, I don't think that, you know, Alabama's going to be in a situation, you know, for the next few weeks, especially after watching Texas A&M on Saturday, um, you know, where, where it's going to be a dire situation where he might be forced into action unless he's absolutely ready. But it's certainly something to watch. I mean, it's, a, um, you know, for, for lower leg stuff that doesn't involve, a you know, a partial or a complete tear, it's it's about as bad as it gets. Yeah, and uh, if, if, if and when he does return, and I think we expect him to at some point, uh, would you would you would you think maybe that Joseph Boulevard will take over the, the uh, kick kicking off? And as you said, they're going to continue to try to develop Skylar DeLong and get him more consistent and let him handle the punting? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would let Bolivus and DeLong stay out there as long as they possibly can afford to, just to, you know, give him a chance to get that thing totally healed. And, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where, um, you know, it, it could heal and everything could be clicking right along. And then, you know, the first, you know, real cold and rainy game that they have, that thing's got a tendency to stiffen up and get tight. And you want to make sure that, um, you know, he's fully warmed up and flexed. But it, it's it's something to really pay attention to. It's it's a, I had it when I was at Alabama and, um, 
you know, back then it was just called a pulled growing that wasn't as technical as a hip flexor. You know, they've even got a surgical procedure now for it. Um, that's the old, uh, you know, sports hernia deal that you hear about now. And, uh, you know, you just want to, you know, hope that it heals quickly. You know, we don't, this is our, you know, first chance to see how quickly he can bounce back from an injury. But it's certainly something to pay attention to. It can, it can be a nagging injury that lingers for quite some time. And I guess uh, in hindsight, it's a good thing Coach Saban kept Joseph Bulavas around and probably encouraged him to stay. Uh, on, he has two kickers on scholarship. Bulavas certainly struggled at the points last year, but did pretty solidly in field goals. So at least you've had him on the road in the SEC. You've had him kicking in big games. DeLong, I'm still worried about that from the punting standpoint. It wasn't great. I think it was around 38 yards per punt against Southern Miss. Needs more hang time. Uh, but when when Reichert returns, I would expect him just to handle, uh, uh, you know, uh, extra points and field goals. I don't know that Coach Saban would push him uh, because I believe he injured it on a kickoff. You've got Bulovus there to kick off and just, you know, Jeff Banks and those guys are going to have to earn their money and help DeLong improve and or – Unless we see maybe another uh, Mike Bernier is still on the team. He punted some last year, but it seems as though they're uh, uh, they they think they can still develop uh, DeLong. Yeah, I mean, and, and and like I said, I mean, you know, for people that don't know what it is, I mean, it's it's up in your hip socket. You know, it's it's you know what connects your, um, you know your your the tendon the main tendon that connects. You know, if you if you've ever you know taken your grabbed your foot. Uh, back behind you and pulled it upward towards your buttocks. I mean, that's what you, where you feel tension and pressure in your hip socket. That's what your hip flexor is. And, you know, that, that punting motion, uh, you know, even the kicking motion, I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a chore for him to get through this. I don't know what his injury history is in high school, what all he did or didn't have to overcome, but yeah, I would get both of us out there and, and DeLong and, you know, ride them as long as they can. I don't see a, uh, foresee at least a scenario on the schedule anytime soon where you should, you know, press Riker to come back anytime soon. So, um, you know, give him, give him plenty of time and, and let that thing heal up completely before he gets back out there. And hopefully it won't be on a rainy, cool game. Yeah. I mean, uh, and certainly it's uh, Alabama's had to battle the heat and they're going to have to battle the heat again on Saturday with this two thirty kick against the Ole Miss rebels. And, uh, William, I know, uh, you, you talked about it briefly, but, what is your expectations based upon, uh, you know, knowing you know, we don't know how severe it is, but, uh, but on who you speak with and just your gut, when, when do you think we'll see DJ Dale back? Uh, it, it won't be this week. And, and I, you know, I, I'd be surprised if it's against Texas A&M, um, you know, that that's a, um, you know, not a, not a tough one, but it's a painful one. And uh, it just depends on what his pain threshold is. You know, I think they've got some young guys um, along with him. I mean, he's a young guy himself. But, you know, I think they could go with, you know, Phil Mathis and, and Barmore and, um, you know, let them get their reps and get a little bit more practice during games and stuff and then let Dale have some time to get 100% because, you know, they're going to need him once they, you know, get closer towards the first part of November. But, um, yeah, I, just from looking at the schedule, I, I don't I don't see a need to press him back into service anytime soon either. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, if uh, if he can make it back by A&M or if he uh, – but I think, William, as we've seen, this Alabama schedule is backloaded. Uh, if they can get by A&M, and I think we all believe they should, A&M has been disappointing so far. It's still going to be a difficult environment. 
but the schedule, there's another buy where he worked in there also. I hate to say to be to put it in these kind of terms, but this basically is you got two scrimmages coming up with Tennessee and Arkansas at this point. Oh, for sure, and uh, you know the the, the the atmosphere at A and M is you know especially if this heat doesn't um, subside, um, you know that can be a tough place to play. But you know they were um, overwhelmed pretty early against Auburn, who I'm still not convinced is a great football team. I mean they've got a great D line and pretty 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 nifty with trick plays. But mm-hmm. um, you know I think the offense the offense is still. Um, you know, inconsistent and, and, and looking for some consistency. But, um, you know, certainly they got a great D-line and, and the, you know, the sprinter Schwartz is, is a threat every time he touches the ball. But, you know, and, and as I sit here and I say this, them Kellen Mond will probably look like Johnny Football, <laughs> um, which, which which he certainly hasn't come close to looking like, you know, in the, the two games I've seen him in this year. Very inconsistent, you know, seems to get rattled, you know, struggles with accuracy. Um, you know, I hate to jump ahead, you know, past Ole Miss, but I, I would add that as a third scrimmage, basically, from what I've seen out of them this year. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, the schedule sets up favorably. You just got to hope nobody else, you know, significant gets hurt. And, uh, you know, let, let the young guys get in there. Um, you know, I thought they did a good job of, of uh, you know, kind of, situationally substituting guys in there early. You know, they left the first team O-line in for a little bit when Mac Jones came in, left Najee in, um, you know, on offense. Seemed to be a little bit more um, free-flowing with the substitutions on defense. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of young guys on that defense that, that need the reps. So, they're you know, they're not going to, you know, yank those guys as quickly as, as, as they would, you know, three- and four-year starters. So, um, yeah, I think the, the month of October and, and, you know, certainly the last weekend of September is setting up very favorably for the team from a development standpoint, you know, getting guys more experience. And, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to watch. I enjoy that. That's my favorite really part of the season is, you know, against some of these, you know, teams that are coming up in the next, you know, five weeks is, you know, watching those young guys get in there and, you know, make their mistakes, learn from them, learning how to play fast. And, um, you know, we'll get to see a lot of that over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we certainly will. And, uh, uh, and speaking of young guys, uh, we've, uh, we're going to see uh, Christian Barmore, I think, more and more, especially with DJ Dale's injury. He's been a big topic of conversation. Uh, he uh, predictably, after sitting out the half with a bogus targeting call in South Carolina, played with his hair on fire uh, and, and uh, really uh, brought it, had three tackles. Uh, they were all to end the game. Uh, he was playing definitely with uh, with an edge. I I I think we're just going to continue to see more and more of him as long as he can be assignment sound. William DJ Dale out. I think Mathis will probably slide back inside. Uh, we know that uh, LeBron Ray is going to be out for a while. Your thoughts on Barmore? I think it's a golden opportunity for him to continue over this next month. I mean, he could end up being a guy that you didn't even think about at the start of the season that could be very important in November. Well, you know, I think also, too, I mean, when you look at the type of offenses, you know, I mean, uh, uh, the offenses that, that they're going to be playing, um, there, there's not going to be, you know, uh, you know, except for, you know, first and 10 and, and third and short situations, you're not going to see the base defense out there that much. Um, 
so, you know, why not give those reps to Mathis and Barmore to begin with? And, and like we talked about earlier, continue to rest Dale. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Barmore is a guy that, you know, I think is, um, you know, kind of following along the same path that, that uh, you know, Raekwon Davis did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think he was physically ready to play, um, you know, when he got there, just, you know, emotionally he just needed to get adjusted to college life and you know toughen up a little bit like a lot of young players do and you know they they've kind of had his name circled in pencil um for quite some time as somebody that they felt like was going to you know, had the potential to be a really good player and he's starting to live up to that on Saturday so yeah I expect to see more and more of him um I think he'll get better and better the more comfortable he gets um, you know, and, and, you know, with somebody with his physical abilities, you know, even, even if he's not ready, um, emotionally, uh, you know, to, to play sound on every play, a lot of guys can overcome that with what they're able to do physically. So I, I think he certainly fits that description and you'll see more and more of them as, as these, uh, you know, next four or five weeks, you know, come through the end of September and October, I think you're going to see a lot of them. He's, he's a guy that, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, when Quentin Williams, um, you know, his first year to get on the field, you know, he wasn't a starter, but every time he was in there, you know, you saw him flash and, and make some things happen, and you're starting to see that, you know, on a weekly basis from Barmore as well. Yeah, you really are, and uh, I'm anxious to see him continue to develop. And speaking of developing, and then uh, I thought it was interesting this week, uh, but, uh, it, it, it looks like Nick Saban and he always finds roles for guys. Uh, we've talked about the tight end spot and the, and the blocking not being what it needed to be. Well, they added a new wrinkle against Southern Miss and going forward, uh, looks like he is going to have a role as a blocking tight end. That's Kendall Randolph, the backup offensive guards also seen time at center and tackle been very versatile. Uh, I believe now he's number 85. Uh, they've uh, changed his number. Uh, he was number 60. He had seen some time on the O-line, but it looks like a Brandon Green-type role uh, is going to be uh, you know, uh, made for Kendall Randolph to be that edge-blocking tight end. Uh, a lot of people thought they might do this with Matt Womack, and maybe, a, uh, maybe a, there was another player or two that came to mind, but your thoughts on moving Kendall Randolph uh, to blocking tight end? Yeah, thank you for... Uh... I was sitting there trying to rack my brain and remember Brandon Green's name because that's yeah, exactly. exactly. The, he played for the Birmingham Iron this uh, this spring and uh, yeah. he was actually in Huntsville. Some no, he was Reggie Raglan's roommate. He he helped out with Reggie Raglan's uh, you uh, you know football camp that ninety seven seven the zone helped put on. So got a chance to speak with him a little bit. Yeah, he, he you remember he he caught the he caught the pass against LSU uh, in two thousand and fourteen to to beat them in overtime. That helped set that up. Yeah, and, and, you know, similar body types, and, and, you know, certainly Randolph has, you know, got the same athleticism. So, you know, take your hats off to the coaching staff for, you know, A, recognizing the need, but also kind of putting the right athlete there, you know, that can pull that off. So um, that's going to help the offense. Um, you know, you, you, you want to see somebody out there that at least the, you know, the defense has to uh, – you know, give a second thought to as far as putting him out into the passing game and stuff. And he's, I think he's able to do that in certain situations, certainly a lot more so than Matt Womack is. Um, you know, and I still think you'll probably see some, you know, tackle over formations out of Matt Womack or whoever, you know, they, they, most offensive coordinators these days like to have that in their arsenal, um, to have a heavy package on goal line and short yardage. 
But um, yeah, I'm glad to see the young man get an opportunity. And um, you know, surprisingly enough, if you you, know, you look at um, he he had kind of worked his way up the depth chart onto the second team offensive line before he did. the season started. So you know, he's he, he's making progress. And you know, I think a lot of times, you know, in the the, the day and age of um, you know five stars and four stars, they're they're considered busts if they're not starters by by the end of their first year on campus. People tend to give up on him. You know, especially bigger people like that. Um, you know, it takes them longer to develop, longer to get used to the to the speed of the game. And um, you know, I, I think you're starting to see that that happen with Randolph. And I'm interested to see how this thing plays out the rest of the season. Yeah, me too. I, I'm anxious to see, and I'm happy for him because he's overcome knee and Achilles injuries. William, uh, he's been a guy that's been banged up quite a bit. Uh, he missed most of last season with an Achilles. I believe he's a redshirt sophomore. So it allows him to create a role for himself. I know they want to recruit more tight ends, but if he takes to this and really does a good job blocking on the edge, then he's probably found a role for himself the rest of his career because Brandon Green did that for much of the rest of his career also. And it allows guys like Miller Forrestall, uh, eventually Cameron Latu. I know they really want uh, more blocking uh, you know, out of Major Tennyson, but Cameron Latu... Uh, as we said, Miller Forstall, potentially Arik Gilbert in the recruiting class. It allows those guys to make plays as H-backs. And also, they, Jaleel Billingsley saw some playing time. He struggled blocking. Uh, but I think he's still eventually going to redshirt, get bigger, and have a chance to be a more of a dynamic tight end So and improve the athleticism there. So a nice role being carved out by Kendall Randolph from my community here in Madison from Bob Jones High School. So. Uh, happy for him, and hopefully going forward, he's going to help this football team. Speaking of someone that's returning that can help, uh, we've got Deontay Brown coming back. will be eligible this week. He's been practicing uh, at right guard, and I got a funny feeling from hearing Nick Saban in the teleconference this afternoon. Also left probably both places. Uh, the only thing that's a little bit discouraging, William, is I hear that uh, he's not uh, really even close to his, the, what they want for his playing weight. Last year, it looked like he had finally slimmed down into the 330s, and we know he started five games and was dominant. I'm hearing that he's well north of that right now. So hearing Nick Saban talk about him having to earn the spot makes a lot of sense, but it's disappointing that the young man's a little heavy right now. Yeah, I've heard the same report and, you know, the the, the number that's been tossed out to me. I, I just don't even see how that's physically possible. I mean, it's, it's not like he's uh, – not been practicing, not been conditioning, not been working out with the team, and uh, you, 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 you know, especially with the, the emphasis that that staff puts on, you know, conditioning and nutrition. Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is starting to look like a talk about a blast from the past, but you know, a, a mid '90s version of Jamie Carter, who was, uh, you know, prone to order, you know, three or four pizzas and and you know, a hundred <laughs> wings. Um, you know, Bryant Hall when nobody was looking. And, and uh, you know, we've seen it with other players, Brandon Hill a few years ago. Yes. Um, I, you know, I just don't understand how this happens, especially when you're suspended, um, you're staring down the barrel of, of, you know, getting your starting job back. And, um, you know, that's your one, you know, kind of weakness in your tool belt is your weight. And you'd think that would be an emphasis, and he'd pay more attention to that than anything on his – you know, time away from the starting lineup, but it is what it is. You know, he, he's got to manage that and, and, uh, you know, get it under control and, you know, um, you know, we'll see, I mean, you know, maybe with, uh, 
you know, being back in the in the rotation um, and, you know, getting more reps, obviously, you know, when they get into game prep, if you're not going to play, um, you know, they're not going to give you the reps because you're, you're not eligible. But, you know, maybe they can get that, you know, 15, 20 pounds of bad weight off of him in the next couple weeks. And, um, you know, by the time mid-October gets here, he can be back down closer to that free, 350 range where he needs to be. Yeah, and William, I've got to ask you, as someone who played offensive line, and of course you uh, played Jamie Carter uh, from the state of Mississippi, how hard is it to lose weight during the season? You know, I mean, it's it's hard for me to even relate to that because I have right. the opposite problem. I, I I had problem keeping weight on, but um, it wasn't a problem in the off season. But you know, God, during the season, you know. Um, you know, when you practice and then the conditioning that you do afterwards and, you know, with school, um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for them now because um, of the emphasis they place on, on nutrition and making sure these kids are putting – so, you know, there's a sign in the hallway of the football complex that Amy Bragg, um, you know, posts every year. You know, if I see you walking down the hallway, I want to see a drink in your hand and some food in your mouth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's healthy options I can assure you there's not Krispy Kreme donuts and, and, you know, pizza slices, you know, for people to grab at will. You know, it's canisters of nuts and and protein shakes and, you know, healthy choices. Um, So, you know, really the difficult thing is is for, you know, guys, you know, like a Damian Dalcourt that needs to gain weight um, and, and, you know, guys that are, you know, much longer and, and, uh, you longer limbed and taller, like an Alex Leatherwood, um, you know, who, who would, you know, both be considered hard gainers. You know, it's more difficult for those guys to keep their weight up, uh, you know, versus, you know, something like this that could be, you know, done with, with extra cardio exercise and, um, you know, certainly, you know, take all the simple carbs away from them and, um, you know, all the other stuff that tends to add weight to people at any age. So, um it's it's disappointing, I guess, more than anything, because that's the one area that that he needs to work on. It's he's you know he's blessed in so many areas with such a large and and, and powerful lower body. I mean, the guy can generate power at the point of attack as good as anybody I've ever seen. Um, you know, I, I think the the Nate Newton comparison that I've heard tossed around a lot's fair because they're built similarly. They both you know have have you know weight problems that they struggle with, but. Um, you know, it, it's a struggle. I mean, uh, you know, when you're when you're hot, especially when the you know when it's still 100 degrees out there, the last thing you want to do when you get done is rehydrate and eat. And um, you know, if, if you if you lose you know more than five pounds during a practice, they give you this syrup that you have to drink, and it's it's not pleasant to choke down. So, um, you know, there's a science to it, just like everything else. And um, you know, it, it it's a difficult job for that coaching staff to you know, every player has, you know, got their own individualized program and, you know, they're, they're tasked with following that and the people that manage them in the weight room and, um, you know, the nutrition um, aspect of it. I mean, it's a full-time job to make sure that, you know, certain players are getting, you know, six, 7,000 calories a day and somebody that needs to lose weight, you know, for a 370-pound person um, without any exercise added to it, you know, to maintain – that way they need to be eating less than 3,700 calories a day. So, um, you know, that, that's not a lot of food for somebody that size. So, you know, when you, when you, you know, get asked to do that, it affects your energy levels and your strength levels. And, 
although he's got plenty of strength to spare. So, uh, but you know, it, it's it's a it's a job, man. It's a full time job. You know, what whatever side of that stick you're on, whether it's trying to keep your weight up or lose it. Well, in this offensive line, we we talked about it briefly. We thought they had their strongest effort. Uh, uh, what did you think of Chris Owens overall? And do you still see a guy like Dalcourt beating him out? Dalcourt didn't play as much as I thought he might in the Southern Miss game, but he still got in uh, in that second half. We, of course, we didn't see Deontay Brown. We won't until this week. Uh, Evan Neal started, seemed to, uh, you know, I think he made a couple of mistakes, but he played better. The two tackles were really good, especially Jedrick Wills. Uh, Dickerson's solid. Uh, the, I guess the one worry continues to be uh, Chris Owens and then decide if Evan Neal is going to be able to hold off a guy like Deontay Brown. What did you think of uh, uh, the, the, the center spot? And, and, and what about Dalcourt going forward? You know, I mean, I think the the left guard, center, right guard positions are probably still in flux. I mean, uh, you know, I've, Owens probably had his best game of the year so far. There wasn't the, um, you know, the glaring mistakes like there was at South Carolina and earlier in the year. But, you know, the level of competition was also diminished as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you, you still got to kind of worry about him. Uh, you know, against Texas A&M, they've got some very talented interior defensive line players. It's also, you know, going to Dow Court, you know, that's certainly not the, the the best environment to throw a true freshman out there and see if he can win the job during a game, you know, considering the atmosphere, number one, mm-hmm. uh, the, level of tal- the level of talent uptick you're going to see at the defensive tackle spots from Texas A&M. But, but I, I really like what I've seen from him. Um, you know, in a perfect world, you know, if there wasn't the inconsistencies at, at center with Owens, I think you'd like to give him his four games this year and, and, you know, stack him away in the weight room with Scott Cochran for the rest of the year and let him get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. But he is blessed with, um, you know, having the ability to understand leverage and angles, and he's got a good base. Um, you know, he's, he's powerfully built in his lower body already. Um, probably just needs to improve his upper body strength a little bit. But, you know, I, I wouldn't discount him being a factor um, unless somebody else or, or Owens himself can, can you know, get, get more consistent against good competition. Um, you know, I think you'll continue to see Damian Dalcourt. Um, you know, I think he's probably shown that he needs to play. And, uh, you know, Certainly, I think he's, you know, got a, a pencil mark circled around him as the center of the future. Um, so, you know, if, if, if that's the case, um, you know, keep giving him reps and meaningful games and, and let him continue to develop. And um, I think that's probably what you'll see from him. Now, how that uh, left guard, right guard job, um, you know, ends up being, I, you know, I personally think uh, well, you'll probably see the change is, is at the right guard spot as it takes place with Deontay Brown. I think Evan Neal, um, despite the freshman mistakes, is just too physically gifted to keep off the field at this point. I mean, unless he just has a, you know, a meltdown. Um, and, you know, that could happen at College Station. It's a tough place to play. Um, and, and it's going to be a, you know, he's going to have some talented guys that he's going to have to deal with. But, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've been pleased with the, the progress of the offensive line. I think they've um, certainly gotten better, uh, you know, since the Duke game. Yeah. Um, you know, still still a little bit of questions with, with Owens, obviously, but maybe that can continue to solidify as well. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, you know, I, I think they're coming along. You know, there's been some questions raised. 
that have been, you know, delivered to me off of social media. Um, you know, is, is the, the zone blocking scheme too complicated? You know, they've been running the zone blocking scheme down there since I was in school. It's, it's nothing new. Um, you know, certainly probably Kyle Flood's version of it's different than Brent Keys, and Brent Keys was a little bit different than Mario Cristobal. So, it's, you know, everybody has their their way of doing things and wanting things done, but <clears throat> there, there's there's nothing new about what they're trying to do. Um, it's just the fact that there's so many new people um, at four different spots. You've got four four new starters, um, you know, at, at their position. So, you know, it just takes time for that continuity um, to develop and people to learn how to communicate with the guys on either side of them. Yeah, it really will. And uh, I know it's it's unusual unless there's an injury. But if Evan Neal continues to get better, could we see maybe Deontay Brown settle in as a backup, or do you, uh, or if he can get his weight under control, do you believe that he'll eventually win a spot back in the first five? You know, I, I think now, you know, after the, you know, we, we've got to wait and see what his conditioning looks like Saturday. But I would be shocked if he doesn't end up, you know, in the next couple of weeks, ended up being that right guard. I mean, it's uh, um, he's just too good at what he does. I think him and Jedrick Wills, um, you know, can, can be a devastating run blocking tandem over there. And, um, you know, he's probably when he's in shape and, and he's, you know, good to go and at full speed, I just think he's too talented. Um, to, to keep off the field. I mean, you're talking about a guy that if he'll take care of his body, can play football as long as his body allows him to. Yeah, I, you know, it's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, uh, Landon Dickerson's been pretty good thus far and been all SEC, you know, uh, you know, offensive lineman of the week. So I would have thought that Evan Neal would be the one, the odd man out maybe. Uh, and, and, I, and I still kind of feel that way. It just depends on his mental errors and if he continues to get better. But, uh, of course, who's to say Landon Dickerson might not see some time at right or excuse me, left guard also. We'll see. But uh, it'll be interesting to see whether uh, Deontay, because Deontay spent most of his time at left guard a year ago. But as we said, and during media viewing, he's been at right guard. But I, I believe, it, and just reading between the lines with Nick Saban, uh, that Deontay's been seeing time at both spots. So we'll continue to monitor that uh, going forward, no question about it. And then uh, overall, I thought, the, uh, as you said, Najee Harris had the first 100-yard running game. <laughs> this is really hard to believe, William. Since LSU last no- early November, Damian Harris, that's the last 100-yard game for an Alabama running back. He has 14 carries for 110 yards and a five-yard touchdown catch. I thought Brian Robinson looked pretty good. was a little surprised we didn't see Keelan Robinson, but we've heard nothing from Coach Saban about an injury of any kind. Jerome Ford and Jadarius Townsend saw reps with Ford getting a touchdown. Uh, but the running game and the offensive the, that, the offensive line and the running backs are going to kind of be – it's going to be a hand-in-hand thing. But I thought, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the show, that the running game was better against Southern Mississippi. I say this. If this offense – I think they got 174, 175 yards rushing. If they could do that going forward, no guarantees, but if they could – uh, I think Alabama's offense would be unstoppable. They don't have to rush for 200 yards with this group. No, I, I think probably 150 yards is, is the benchmark that I that I that I would look for. Um, and, and you know, it doesn't really surprise me that it's been since last November that uh, um, you know Alabama's had a 100-yard individual rusher with the way they rotate backs in and out of there. Certainly, the 
the schedule that they played against the defenses in, in November and in the college football playoffs last year has a lot to do with that as well. Um, you know, certainly it was a little bit of a head scratcher, um, you know, in the first couple of games this year. But with, with, with the quarterback and the wide receivers and, and what, you know, uh, Steve Sarkeesian is trying to do offensively, I, you know, I think 150 is, is kind of the, the benchmark that you need to look for because, um, you know, when, when, when you got a running back running the football, those, those four thoroughbred wide receivers are blocking people, not doing what they need to be doing. Yeah, and uh, before William and I start talking recruiting, because there was a major piece of the puzzle added this week, I wanted to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation and talk about Texas A&M, because I know Thomas watches uh, a lot of these other games very closely as well, especially when Alabama has an upcoming opponent. Ole Miss, of course, is uh, you know is uh, is someone that, uh, that that we'll get him to break down a little bit as well. But Texas A&M is going to be the road trip coming up. Uh, October the 14th, uh, excuse me, October the 12th, pardon me. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll delve into it even more uh, after the bye week. But just before the before we uh, go on our bye this coming week, I wanted to get some initial thoughts from Thomas. Now that we've seen Texas A&M in not just one big game, but now they flopped in two big games. Thomas, your thoughts on the Aggies and uh, right now the $75 million man, Jimbo Fisher. This was always thought to be somewhat of a transition year, but I thought A&M was going to be better than they've shown thus far. The big problem is A&M has functionally no rushing attack. You know, if you look at the Clemson and the uh, Auburn games, I don't think they got over 100 yards total in those games combined. And that's just not going to get it done. Yes, Kellen Mond ended up almost throwing A&M back into the game, but... The offensive line for Texas A&M does that offense absolutely no favors. They get no push in the run game, and Kellen Mond is constantly harassed, which that suddenly means that Kellen Mond has fallen off a cliff in terms of productivity. Overall, I don't think Jimbo Fisher is justifying his $75 million thus far because I'm kind of in, I'm kind of in the same boat as William. Auburn's offense is... It kind of reminds me of a spiced-up Alabama offense under early Nick Saban in that it's going to have fits and starts, and then it's going to pop one occasionally. But if you get into a shootout, good luck keeping up. That's what I see Auburn's offense as. And Auburn's defense, I mean, great defensive line, but I don't think that defense wants any part of LSU or Alabama. I think that will, be, that will get ugly quick. But anyway, back to the A&M thing. It's certainly taken a lot of the luster off of that game. I thought that was going to be the time that Alabama really started to gear up and speed up and try start reaching that crescendo that they need to hit come December to be able to perform at the highest level, assuming, of course, SEC championship, college football playoff, blah, blah, blah. We've talked about that ad nauseum. But overall, I think you have to call them disappointing. And in, in their defense, I will say one thing. Part of their disappointment is that LSU offensively has come out of absolutely nowhere to set an SEC points record through the first four games of this season at 231 points. Right. So, so it's kind of the thing that's context, like it's based on context. I think A&M would easily be the second best team in the East. Unfortunately, particularly with their loss to Auburn, they're going to be fighting for fourth best team in the West 
And if the ball bounces incorrectly against a good, uh, a, a good, or at least can run the ball effectively young Mississippi state team, then you could look at fifth in the West. So I think the context is important here and we'll talk more about it once I have a chance to really get into the guts of this football team. But by and large, if the A&M offensive line is as useless as they were against the Clemson Tigers and the Auburn Tigers, lots of Tigers, yeah, whatever, then Alabama is going to win going away. That, that's my thoughts three weeks out, Drew. Well, and I wanted to run something by both you and William. Uh, I truly respect Matt Wyatt. He's a great analyst. Uh, he has a great YouTube channel. He has a show, of course, the Matt Wyatt sh- show, uh, which is 12 to 2 on uh, ESPN 105.9 in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, was a, for a long time on Super Talk Mississippi. Uh, is the uh, and is the color analyst for the uh, uh, Mississippi State Football Radio Network and was a quarterback. He's from Prattville, Alabama, and he's always been very objective when breaking things down. He said something today on Talking Ball that really caught me off guard. And I'll and let me preface this by saying, you know, I my, Scott Tyson and I had a chance to be around Joe Burrow and ask him some questions at SEC Media Days, and that dude's very impressive. And I did say I thought going into the year. He was a top three quarterback in the league and very and, and a guy that's a great leader, a gutty guy, and uh, maybe I think maybe being a little undervalued. Now, he's gotten off to an unbelievable start, six touchdowns uh, in the last game uh, at Vanderbilt. But today, Matt Wyatt said something that really caught me off guard. He believes if Matt, if uh, Joe Burrow continues to produce like, he's, like he has in the first uh, you know, month of the season, that he is someone – and I never thought – I thought about him getting drafted, but I never thought of this. He believes he could go higher in the NFL draft than Tua Tungo-Vailoa. And that, to me, I've seen Tua enough. I've seen Joe Burrow. While I respect Burrow as a competitor and a player, <laughs> let, me be, let me be clear. I haven't seen enough of him this year. I need to go back and watch a couple of their big games. But I don't put him in the same stratosphere as Tua. And I wanted to get, first, Thomas, your thoughts, and then Williams on that. So, will Joe Burrow get drafted higher than Tua Tonga Vailoa? And that would mean going number one overall, in my opinion. That's a t- uh, that's we're talking top five pick. Yeah, I think so. So there's a lot. This is a hard argument to make for me because yes, past success is potentially an indicator of future success. But the thing about LSU is show me a defense that they've played with a pulse. Right. You know, the best defense they've played is Texas. And, you know, the next time a Big 12 defense should scare anybody with a functioning brain will be the first. So if LSU comes out and drops 50 on Florida and then drops 50 on Alabama, even in a loss, because I frankly think Alabama could score 70 on LSU's defense because that is a terrible unit. That's that's the sort of stuff it's going to end up having to take. And one of the things that he has to do is stay healthy throughout the year and maintain elite level production that we've already seen from Tua Tagovailoa for a year and a half, essentially. So is it completely impossible? I don't think so. But there's a lot more that has to go into this calculus because he has to pass Justin Herbert. He has to pass Tua Tagovailoa. You know, Jake Fromm's going to get some buzz for first round, even though he'll probably get back half of the first round. And one of the things about where these quarterbacks go 
is what's the draft order look like? Because, you know, last week, Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their number one pick, Jameis Winston, looked like he had a pulse for the first time in a month. Yeah. Uh, the, the Dolphins are literally lighting half the city on fire to burn down their franchise. So we have no idea what's going on there. And you don't have as many teams that are quarterback needy right now because so many quarterbacks have gone, come into the NFL recently. So there are so many factors with this that it's hard to really project going forward. Is it completely crazy given the first month? No, but I would be, I wouldn't be, I would be as surprised if he passed Tua as if we have this conversation in December and Joe Burrow came back down to earth against a good Florida secondary or a good Alabama defense, particularly on the back end and only scored, you know, 24, 31 points. And that's really not going to get it done. If you ask me in terms of raw stats production, Drew. Yeah. And William, I'll get your thoughts on it. And I have to admit his stats are, you know, staggering. I mean, in four games, he's a hundred of 124, 80% completion percentage, nearly 81. 1,520 yards, uh, yards per attempt, 12.3, and then uh, 17 TDs and only two INTs. So he's been unbelievable, but uh, I still don't think he's the pure passer that Tua is. Your thoughts, William, on this LSU offense? To me, I'll be honest with you, I think there's been so much talk about Alabama's defense not being very good this year and struggling. I think the LSU defense has fallen off a table. What, 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 What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I think Thomas, you know, kind of laid laid the table out the way it needs to be laid. I mean, first of all, you, you got to wait and see what you know each team in the the top ten in the draft is, is going to be looking for. I mean, um, you know, if, if depending on what what their needs are. I mean, if there's a Quinnen Williams out there, uh, I, there no, nobody's going to take two quarterbacks in the top five. You know, if there's a lockdown corner. Nobody's going to take two quarterbacks in the top five. You know, if there's a, um, you know, a future NFL Hall of Famer at left tackle, nobody's going to take two quarterbacks in the top five picks. So that that's just, you know, ridiculous to even speculate on at this point. Um, secondly, I, I think that LSU is asking Joe Burrow to do this stuff. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at their stats, but – yeah. You know, are they having to score the? Are they having to score these type of points and, and make these passes? You know, because their rushing game's inept. Are they having to do it to protect? Uh, you know, what like you just said, Drew, a, a less than you know average LSU defense. Certainly under Dave Aranda, you know, is the the lack of recruiting on that side of the ball, which you know Nick Saban is you know taking them to the woodshed and just in their own state on over the last you know ten years. Um, or I guess five. You can't really factor in the first five. They're they're not there anymore. But would I take what I've seen from Joe Burrow right now over what I've seen from Tua in the last two years? Absolutely not. Um, I, I say I'd say let, let's revisit this conversation. You know, the, the the week before, the week after Thanksgiving, and see how they're still um, stacking up statistically. And I don't think you can use. You know, stats is a do-all, end-all indicator on which one's the the better pro prospect at quarterback. Now, um, you know, you know, I, I personally think when it comes down to draft time, you might see some teams shy away because two is barely six foot tall. We'll have to wait and see how that works out. But yeah. if, if I'm an NFL GM or if I'm a college uh, head football coach, 
you know, which one of those two guys do I take first based on what I've seen from the last two seasons? I take Tua, no questions asked. Yeah, and I do too. I just think he's a better pure passer. Though, I mean, I'm sure Joe is now this the system is a short control passing game and it's playing to his strengths and certainly he does have a passing ability. Uh, I just don't think he's – I just never have seen anyone as accurate as two. And I know his completion percentage is 80% as far as Joe Burrow, but uh, I still would take Tua and uh, some of the throws you see him make uh, and saying the growth we've seen of him as a quarterback in year two. But it certainly is an interesting topic of conversation. You're still going to watch Joe Burrow uh, going forward, especially in some of their bigger games because they're going to play football teams, in my opinion, better than Texas uh, down the road because the SEC is down, but – it's still extremely top-heavy. There's five at least really good football teams in this league, uh, and uh, I think uh, uh, that uh, we're going to see some head-to-head matchups that are, are going to be very, very interesting to watch. But n- now, uh, William, I wanted to uh, change the topic back to recruiting. We kind of were hinting about this last week on BAM's radio. Uh, it came down. Uh, he ended up taking his official visit this weekend along with Alfred Collins, uh, defensive lineman from uh, you know, the state of Texas, who I've been told is the best defensive lineman in Texas, but his mother is a former Longhorn basketball player. Could be difficult to uh, get him away from the Longhorns. And then Reggie Grimes, someone we're very familiar with, 1999 SEC champion. His He and his squad were honored. Uh, you know, it's a 20th year reunion uh, at the game this weekend. So Reggie Grimes Jr. was a visiting. Still not sure Alabama might have room for him. I think Reggie really wants his son to play at Alabama, but the, the numbers are getting so tight, but the biggest visitor of all was Bryce Young uh, from Modern Day High School, top t- top rated dual threat quarterback in the country. And William, I said this is a game changer on Twitter because I think what the, the job Steve Sarkeesian did to flip this young man, and and you know your history in recruiting, you know Modern Day is traditionally, especially for quarterbacks, a pipeline to Southern California. I mean, you've had the Matt Barkleys. Uh, you've had the JT Daniels. Uh, there's been several uh, that have uh, gone from modern day uh, to the University of Southern California and been very good players. Uh, and so uh, they've, they've had a pipeline there, but looks like Alabama broke that with Bryce Young. I think Tua had a lot to do with it and his success over the last uh, two-plus seasons. Uh, but uh, but uh, Bryce Young now has officially flipped Alabama and this could be the impetus because a lot of people thought Clemson had the top class locked up. I still think they're going to be difficult to overtake. But this this uh, this development certainly gives Alabama a chance to once again be atop those rankings. Your thoughts on Bryce Young and his flip from Southern California to Alabama? Well, shit. First of all, you got to pat yourself on the back. I mean, you you kind of um, you know. Uh, made your call last week on the show thinking it could happen sooner rather than later, and I thought it was going to be later rather than sooner. Um, you know, certainly I think it's, you know, the, one of the worst-kept secrets in recruiting. Uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian has had this thing locked up since this summer. Um, I, I think he's the, the key component there um, in, in getting um, Bryce Young on campus. I mean, he's he's had – you know, nothing but outstanding things to say about the young man. You know, feels like he's got a great chance of winning the starting job as a true freshman, considering the fact he's going to be an early enrollee. Certainly, that's going to have to be one on the field. But, um, you know, just a dynamic quarterback. You know, some people are saying he's one of the best high school quarterbacks they've ever seen. Can make all the throws, can make all the runs. When the pocket breaks down, you could even design a 
you know, a dual threat offense around him because he is a legit, you know, threat to run the football at any time. But I think, you know, when, when you look at the timing of it, um, you know, I think this puts more pressure on his family out in California, but it certainly is going to benefit the University of Alabama. It gives them a chance to, you know, show some of these other wide receivers that they'd like to add, certainly one of the tight ends, you know, hey, this is going to be your quarterback of the future. Um, it gives him an opportunity to recruit some of these players, at least now openly, um, maybe not through direct messaging on, on social media. And, uh, you know, it gives them a kind of a cornerstone um, to continue to add offensive players to in this recruiting class. And he could help even lure some, uh, you know, players on the defensive side of the football as well. But I think it's a big, big bonus and benefit to, uh, you know, Nick Saban and the program to get him on board and in the fold this early um, in his senior season, um, especially with him being an early enrollee. I, I really did. I thought he was going to, you know, kind of go the T.J. Yeldon route to, to try and make things easier on himself and his family out there and kind of, you know, post Thanksgiving, you know, kind of fade into the woods and, and you know, use the, the, the benefit of the cover of the dead period to kind of do it in. But, you know, kudos to the kid and his family for having the courage to do it and, uh, you know, get this, you know, really, really bad secret out there in the public domain because it's it's been a, uh, you know, Alabama's been in the, the clubhouse as the leader with this thing for quite some time now. And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the young man. I'm happy for the program. Um, looks like we've got another really active uh, player's father on social media from some of the stuff that's been forwarded to me. So this, this could be quite fun. Yeah. And then uh, uh, with, with the, and I watched him a little bit against St. Francis before their bye week and he came to visit and, I think he threw for close to 250 in that game. He ran for four touchdowns and over 100 yards. He's a very dynamic player. Now, he is under six feet tall. You talked about Tua uh, being, uh, you know, maybe a shade over six feet, maybe right at six feet. I think Bryce is even shorter than that. And and then, of course, so is Talia. Talia is under six feet tall. His brother, who is going to, I think, redshirt this year for Alabama, Mac Jones, will be going into his redshirt junior season. So it looks like William, and again, Paul Tyson will be there. I just don't think he's nearly of the caliber of the other three. It looks like a three-way, a, a three-way dance at quarterback. Uh, could you see a scenario? Now, we saw two a play a lot as a freshman, but we've ne- we've only had one true freshman start. That was Jalen Hurts. Uh, I know we, we, we're going to continue to see Talia develop. He threw his first pass this past Saturday to Slade Bolden. But talk about the early on. I mean, they, we're, we, I know we're putting the car before the horse a little bit. But uh, we th- we all believe too is gonna you know uh, gonna take uh, the NFL riches after this season. He would be crazy almost not to. What are your thoughts on a three way dance with Mac Jones, Talia, and Bryce Young? You know, I mean, there's there's so many variables there. I mean, you know, certainly I think uh, you know Young is gonna have to get a little bit more you know physically developed. I don't think at his current physical stature he could hold up to you know, a full season of SEC football, but we've all seen, um, you know, how, how quickly those bodies can change, uh, you know, once they get on campus and, you know, get, get ingrained in the strength and conditioning program and certainly the nutrition program. Um, and, I, and I do think by next August, you'll see a, a drastically different looking player from a physical standpoint. You know, and, and, I, and I think, you know, Mac Jones continues to get better. He's, he's, uh, 
you know, supposedly has a very good grasp of this offense under Steve Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian likes him a lot. He likes a lot of the things that he brings to the table. Um, you know, I think Talia um, certainly brings a lot of, of good qualities to, to the table as well. Um, you know, it, it could be a nasty little three-way race, um, you know, come spring practice, uh, you know, April 2000 or March 2020. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. There's way, way too much time, and um, you, know, you just have to wait and see, you know, how, how you know, SEC-ready Bryce Young really is. Um, you know, high school football in, uh, you know, the, the suburbs of California is a lot different than uh, what he's going to face when he gets to Tuscaloosa. But, you know, I, I think the pecking order is going to be, um, you know, on the first day of spring practice next year, Mac Jones won. Um you know, Talia number two, Paul Tyson three, and Bryce Young four. Now, that's probably going to change and probably change quickly, but um, at least on the back end, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I don't think Tyson, um, at least from what I've seen so far, is going to, you know, push for a starting job or the backup job next year. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a good problem to have, and, and certainly with if they can hang on to, uh, you know, the May kid, uh, you know, for 2020, he's an extremely talented quarterback in his own right. They could be really, really uh, loaded for bear at that position if they can manage to, uh, you know, hang on to all of them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I do think there'll be some attrition. If Mac doesn't win the job, I would expect him to graduate transfer uh, somewhere else. I wouldn't blame him. We'll see. He's shown some improvement. I do think the reason we haven't seen a lot of Talia was uh, strategic by Coach Saban. They were trying to close the deal, and uh, and Bryce Young still has to sign. So they they want Bryce Young in the you know in the fold. They want him to compete. He, he certainly has a unique skill set, uh, and get all credit to Steve Sarkeesian. And that's the big thing that I was telling everybody that was the difference between him and Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is an outstanding play caller. Uh, Lane Kiffin is uh, kind of a savant. He can adjust in, in the heat in the in the when they, when everything's when there's chaos around him and, he, and he's in a big game and, and you know everything's going haywire, he does a great job of being able to adjust on the fly uh, and 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 is in and and, and and you know tweak his play calling and get, and get matchups that he likes and exploit them. But the one thing or and a couple of things that Steve Sarkeesian is superior is I think he's superior as a quarterback coach and as a recruiter. And I don't think there's any question about it. And I think he's a good enough play caller. I really like the offense he's designed. I think the players do too. And uh, I think that's why. And I think I've always said that one of the biggest reasons he came back to Alabama was, uh, it was uh, one, he wants another chance at a head coaching job on the college level. Nick Saban will afford him that opportunity. And I think uh, he, that he, uh, he, he's just a better fit on the college level. And he had a great relationship with the Tungo Vailoas. And, of course, as we've seen with Bryce Young, he can't be understated. I mean, let's be honest. All these dudes would be at Southern Cal if he was the head coach at Southern Cal. So timing is everything, and Alabama was able to take advantage of it. And now, as William said, hopefully this will be a domino effect. They need Eric Gilbert. And I'm going to tell you, I went and watched another kid that Alabama needs to sign, William. I don't know if you studied his tape yet. Probably should I, I'll, I'll uh, just uh, uh, say maybe before our next show, uh, just uh, – I'll send it to you. You check it out. I went and watched him play this past Friday. There's a kid in Florence, Alabama, and you know Alabama's already let one great player from Florence get away in Erol Thompson, the linebacker at Mississippi State. They let Monty Rice get away to Georgia at James Clemens. But I watched those two teams play this past Friday night, and there's a young man uh, uh, named D Beckwith, 
who is a uh, quarterback athlete, uh, but really he's going to be an H-back tight end. He's a, he's a 6'4", 215-pound quarterback and wide receiver right now. They, they put the ball in his hands at wide receiver to run it. I mean, excuse me, a quarterback to run him a lot. He'll throw the ball some, but it's mainly just a, because he's their most dynamic player. But he also plays receiver, and I think he has a chance to be another Irv Smith at tight end. He has an offer from Florida, has an offer from, uh, you know, Ole Miss, uh, Nebraska. Uh, you know, he's uh, uh, Texas A&M has been after him hard. Alabama has come after him. Auburn offered him, but I think they're also recruiting some other tight ends. He's somebody that I think uh, you look at him down the road after he redshirts, you know, he would be 250-plus pounds and be a matchup nightmare. He catches the ball well, and I really like the way he played with physicality. And his team lost 51-20, to 20, but he played his ass off and was playing uh, through, the, through the whistle through, and very, playing very physical, running guys over even when his team was completely out of the game, which impressed me a lot. And he's got enough athleticism to have a Florida basketball offer in addition to football. So I, wow. saw him play, I saw him play basketball last year, William, and he really impressed me. But I had never seen him play football until this year. He came out last year and played, and so he's, he's still kind of raw when it comes to football. But I just think overall that the University of Alabama, they need to uh, you know, be, be monitoring this kid. As a matter of fact, it's a golden opportunity for Kyle Flood, who recruits North Alabama, they, the Florence Falcons will host Jackson Bratton and the Muscle Shoals Trojans this Friday, and I'm going to try to get a, you know, uh, send a word to Kyle Flood. He needs to be in Florence to watch these two kids because I can, I can tell you this, William. I, personally, I don't think Alabama needs a third running back in this class. I like Kyle Edwards. I like uh, Roy Dale Williams, who had a 200-yard game on Friday. I think they should sign an extra tight end in this class because – if you look at Miller Forrestall, and I, he's a competitor, there's no question about it, I'm, but I'm not a huge fan of Major Tennyson. They've moved Randolph to that spot due to blocking purposes, but they're not really athletic and dynamic at the position right now. Only Billingsley seems to kind of have those kind of gifts, and he's very young. I personally think they've got Caden Clark committed, the kid from Ohio, but I, in my opinion, I think you should, if they can add Eric Gilbert, and I think they should make room for D. Beckwith I think they need more athleticism at the tight end spot. But yeah, shoot me his huddle link. I, I should be able to watch it tomorrow afternoon. For sure I'll be able to watch it Friday after lunch. So I, I'm, I want to see this kid, and I'll let you know what I think. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks for the time, William. We are getting ready to wrap up here as this uh, hour has flown by. But, you, you know, it's always great uh, when you're having great conversation. And uh, we are going to – and Alabama got a huge piece of that puzzle in recruiting in Bryce Young, and hopefully they're going to add. In my opinion, they've got 23 commitments. I, I think there's going to be some attrition, and I wouldn't be surprised if seven to eight more are added. And in the end, uh, you'll see around 27 guys uh, in this recruiting class, uh, depending on the you know three or four guys, and maybe a, a gray shirt or two uh, also worked out. We'll, and we'll talk more about that later. But we are going to wrap up BAMS Radio as we uh, talked a little bit about the 49-7 to and broke that down, the uh, easy win for Alabama uh, against Southern Mississippi and what we saw, especially on the offensive line. Uh, and then we talked about the injury situation. And we took a, a small look. Thomas kind of broke down Texas A&M a little bit, but he'll do it in much more detail going forward. Uh, and as, uh, But uh, we always appreciate everybody for joining us. And as we're wrapping it up, just real briefly, William, uh, we're going to let William go. We appreciate his time. I was going to get some brief thoughts from Thomas. Thomas, 
Uh, I know we didn't really break it down, but this to me, we the last two games against Ole Miss have been 66 to three and 62 to seven. I don't know that it's going to be like that. I, I picked 52 to 10 today or 52 to 14, somewhere around there. I think it's going to be another beat down in Tuscaloosa. What are your thoughts briefly on Ole Miss? One of the interesting things about Ole Miss is where's the like mental state of that football team? Because that controversy at the end of the Ole Miss-California game is going to be tough to get over. Looking at it, I don't think the guy was in, but th- that you know that's neither here nor there to what I think. It's that the review didn't happen. That's the kind of thing that could potentially stick with a team. And if you come out flat against Alabama, you're going to get lit up. One of the things coming out of the California game just in general is that the California quarterback had a really good game. He played very well. I think he got hurt in the third quarter, but he was still a solid contributor if you just look at pure stats. So – I think Alabama's going to wallop Ole Miss this upcoming Saturday. I just don't think that they have the Jimmys and Joes. Uh, one thing that I want to see, just personally, Drew, you know, if I were to lay out plans for Thomas Watts, what we're talking about on BAM's next Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whenever we just, whenever we have a chance to record, given our busy schedules, is I want to see progress. Ab- cleaning up some of the gnarliness from the South Carolina game where there was confusion amongst parts of the defense because Ole Ole Miss is going to try and hit Alabama with some tempo and they're going to try and do a lot of what uh, South Carolina did to negatively affect the Alabama defense. You know, Rich Rodriguez is over there and he knows offense. He's one of the progenitors of this entire spread movement. And, you know, that's that's going to pay dividends in terms of the whole, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole offensive game plan. And that is, to me, where I want to see the Alabama team take a step forward. I do think Alabama will come out and put up 50. But uh-huh. the, the, the difference to me is between, you know, 52-21 and 52 to 10. Yeah. You know, at 52 to 10, Ole Miss had a little bit of success, you know, enough success to get a touchdown, maybe in the second quarter, maybe in the, maybe in the third quarter before Alabama started to rotate. And then the twos gave up some, some, you know, pithy yards at the end, but at 52, 21, I mean, that's pretty well sustained success or three explosive plays or a combination therein. That's a completely different narrative. But overall, you know, earlier in the show, I know you and William both agreed that Alabama's coming into a series of scrimmages. And I personally think Ole Miss is in that boat. But, you know, for me as a fan looking, wanting to see my team take a step forward this Saturday, I am going to be fairly nitpicky. And I want to see Alabama continue the trend that they started against Southern Miss because I think that the Duke game for an opener was excellent. But Southern Miss was probably Alabama's biggest step in the right direction in terms of how the offense chose to attack and pile up yards and points and how the defense was able to stymie what before Ole Miss, before Southern, before Southern Miss played Alabama was 
a pretty solid offense. I mean, that group's going to be, you know, top 40 offense. That's so yeah. that's that's not that's nothing to shake a stick at in terms of ability to create pressure points and then create yards and turn that into points. So for me, the step forward is does that continue or do we see, you know, the bad angle drill that was a large chunk of the South Carolina game? Because if we see that, that's a problem. And luckily, Alabama does have a buy to continue to work on that coming up. But still, that's something that as we start turning the page into October, we need to see less and less of uh, not just, when I say we, I mean, everybody, fans, coaches, players alike need to see less of that because, yes, there are a lot of true freshmen starting. And, yes, people are still acclimating to roles, but the the buffer is very quickly fading because as we turn into October, you know, that big matchup between Alabama LSU is just at at the latest a, a month away. So. That's really where I'm looking to see Alabama Ole Miss, the storyline that I'm interested in, both before the game and then to reassess after, Drew. Yeah, we want to see some progress defensively and continued growth, and especially by all those freshmen that are playing. And as you said, good tackling, uh, sound fundamentals. Uh, and uh, and this Ole Miss offense has really not been great. I mean, uh, they were they were shut down by Memphis. They scored some points against Arkansas, but Arkansas is just – pathetic they're probably going to lose all eight sec fire chad morris he he gone he gone and they were and they weren't even good against southeastern louisiana really even though they scored 40 this is a game mm. if matt corral is limited that alabama ought to win going away uh with john rice plumley the fresh true freshman qb i know he played uh rice probably played pretty well in relief against uh you know cal but this is not cal so alabama should take care of this game I think they're going to be impressive. They just need to avoid injuries finally. Start getting guys back instead of adding to that injury report. It'll be interesting to see if we see Terrell Lewis. Personally, I would think he may play on a pitch count, but we won't see a ton of him because he hyperextended his knee against South Carolina. He missed last week. I think he had a, a procedure done, uh, just maybe a scope. But uh, And he's practicing, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him on kind of a limited basis uh and not on a pitch count but it'll be interesting to see well anyway we want to thank everyone for listening to bams radio william redfish barger with great thoughts thomas is always bringing it and of course producing the show uh, i'm your co-host drew Armin. we really appreciate everybody for continuing to support us uh this the podcast will be uh, uh you know uh, either it'll be the posted tonight or in the morning so everyone enjoy it uh we will be bringing you reaction uh, but we may, I think we're going to take a week off next week. There is a week off for Alabama, so we'll take a week off as well. But then we'll come out guns blazing uh, as Alabama gets ready to travel to Texas A&M. Thomas will have a chance to watch A&M and kind of break them down. Uh, he does a great job of that. He's going to, as he said earlier in the show, he's going to get a closer look at the Aggies. He'll give us his thoughts on their personnel. We'll get some thoughts from William Redfish Barger as well. And we might even have more recruiting news. So it won't be boring, that's for sure. Uh, But we'll definitely be uh, coming to you in a couple of weeks with another edition of BAMS Radio because this season there's two buys. (laughs) There's usually just one, uh, but uh, there's going to be a couple of bye weeks. But we'll see in a couple of weeks. But But we continue to be appreciative of everybody supporting BAMS Radio. Good night, everybody. For Thomas Watts, William Redfish Barger, I'm Drew Armin. Roll Tide. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.